Thank you for joining us for today's Insight for Living Bible teaching broadcast. You know, each weekday, there are thousands of Canadians tuning in to hear Chuck Swindoll's Bible teaching program, and we're grateful that Insight for Living is available on stations right across the country, as well as online by streaming and podcast. We know listening to Insight for Living is part of many people's daily routine and devotional schedule, and we're so glad it works. But sometimes schedules change, or your routine is disrupted and you miss a day or two. Here at Insight for Living Canada, we want to make sure you can catch the broadcast, even when the time isn't convenient for you. So we developed a way for the broadcast to come to you by email. We call it EmailCast. Here's how it works. When you sign up at insightforliving.ca slash emailcast, we'll automatically send you a daily email with links to that day's 30-minute Insight for Living, our 5-minute life track featuring some of Chuck's best stories, and our 1-minute Insights audio devotionals for those days when you're stretched for time. Whether you're on the go or in the comfort of your home, we've got solid teaching of God's Word designed to fit your schedule. Emailcast is always free. Simply click and listen. Visit insightforliving.ca slash emailcast to subscribe to this free service. That's insightforliving.ca slash emailcast. In his biographical series on the life of Jesus Christ, Chuck Swindoll has come to a defining moment. Today on Insight for Living, Chuck will describe the horrendous hours leading up to the crucifixion of our Lord. Remaining silent, Jesus stood before a violent mob that refused to accept his claim. Jesus had claimed to be King of the Jews, and for this, they mocked him, beat him, and hung him on a cross to die. Let's pick up the story in John chapter 19. Chuck titled his message, Delivered Up to be Crucified. As he's standing now with his face swollen, his eyes are like two tiny slits and the blood coming from the crown and sticking to the robe, the clamous on his back. And they say to him, verse 29, Hail, King of the Jews! We salute thee! Long live Jesus, King of these Jews! Can't you just hear them? The crime of the victim was written on a plank of wood about one foot by two feet, It was called a titulus. The titulus was this piece of wood that first hung around the neck of the victim as he carried a portion of his cross to the place of execution. And Pilate wrote it, which was not uncommon. And uh, there was a bit of an argument. John 19, 21, the chief priests of the Jews were saying to Pilate, "Do, do not write the king of the Jews. It could look as though he is that, is what they were concerned with. But but rather, add the words, he said, I am the king of the Jews. Let him understand that he simply claimed that. We don't want them to think he was, in fact, the king of the Jews. Pilate's anti-Semitism comes to the forefront when he says, what I have written, I have written. This is Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. 
we read that he carried his cross. Obviously, not the entire cross. My sources tell me that the entire cross would have weighed up to 300 or more pounds. That would be hard even to drag, certainly after being scourged as the victim was scourged. But there was a cross beam called the patibulum. The patibulum would weigh probably 75, not more than 125 pounds. That's no light weight in itself. And according to one source, the patibulum was placed across the nap of the victim's neck and balanced along both shoulders. Usually the outstretched arms were tied to this crossbar. The processional was led by a complete Roman military guard headed by a centurion. Understand, outside the city walls, the vertical beam awaited the victim. The hole was already in the ground. It had been used numerous times and would be used again. No doubt the vertical beam was used over and over and over. But the cross beam perhaps was unique, prepared for this particular individual or someone like him about to be crucified. Before going there, let me add a word regarding the walk to the place of crucifixion. It is our belief as Americans that we should not view capital punishment. That's why it isn't televised. That's why the general public is not invited to attend. Families can attend. Usually a chaplain is there, but it is not viewed by the general public. The Romans believed, and I agree with them, that viewing capital punishment would be a deterrent to crime. And therefore, they made it as public as they could. The journey was arduous and rugged and uncertain. Today, if you visit Jerusalem, you are taken along with a guide, the Via Dolorosa, which begins at one place and ends at another. You feel claustrophobic as you walk along this way. There are merchants on both sides, busy, busy people doing their businesses. And perhaps it wasn't a scene setting, it was in a setting like that, that the original scene took place. Perhaps not. But the point is, he was taken on a long journey, and he walked with the uncertain steps, because not only does he have the patibulum on his shoulders, but he has hand-laid stones. And if you've ever walked on a a path or a street of, of hand-laid stones, you know how uneven it, it can be. And with your hands tied to the cross beam, you certainly would fall on your face if you stumbled. Perhaps he did that. And finally, the text says, they crucified him. And there, they crucified him. Uh, for a moment, stop and think back. If you go back eight to ten centuries, you go back to an era where there was not crucifixion. The days of David, when the Psalms were written. The days of Isaiah, when the prophets wrote. This was all before Persian times. This was before they had ever witnessed death on a cross. I've thought in the preparation of this message how strange it must have been for those writers to write things that they didn't fully understand themselves under the leading of the Holy Spirit. I wrote down some thoughts. 
The psalmist wrote that his hands and feet were pierced, 22.16. That his bones were pulled out of joint, not broken, pulled out of joint. Psalm 22.14 and 17. That his clothing was divided and they cast lots for his garment. Psalm 22.18. That there was scorning and, and staring and mocking. Psalm 22.7, 12 and 13 and 17. All in that psalm and they wrote of those things not knowing fully what they meant. Isaiah wrote of the misery and torture and pain. As a lamb before his shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all, even before it happened, eight centuries before it happened. But the prophetic word was written, waiting to be fulfilled. And on this day, Isaiah 53, 3, 7, 11, as well as Isaiah 53, 10, where it pleased the Lord to bruise him, and he was crucified between two thieves, 53.12, were fulfilled. Those prophecies were fulfilled to the very letter. And how simply Matthew records it. Verse 33, when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means a place of a skull, they gave him wine to drink mingled with gall. After tasting it, he was unwilling, no doubt, an, an oral anesthetic of some ancient mix mixture. He, he, he bore it all with, a, with a, as clear a mind as you could have after scourging. And now he was to be crucified. The victim was knocked to his back. The hands could be nailed or tied to the crossbar. Nailing apparently was preferred by the Romans. The archaeological remains of a crucified body found in an ossuary near Jerusalem dating from the first century, the time of Christ, indicate that the nails were tapered iron spikes approximately five to seven inches long with a square shaft three-eighths of an inch across. Furthermore, ossuary findings and the Shroud of Turin have documented that the nails commonly were driven through the wrists rather than the palms. With arms outstretched but not taut, the wrists were nailed to the patibulum. It has been shown that the ligaments and bones of the wrist can support the weight of a body hanging from them, but the palms cannot. Accordingly, the iron spikes probably were driven between the radius and the carpals or between the two rows of carpal bones. Although a nail in either location in the wrist might pass between the bony elements and thereby produce no fractures, the likelihood of painful injury would seem great. Furthermore, the driven nail would crush or sever the rather large median nerve. The stimulated nerve would produce excruciating bolts of fiery pain in both arms. Although the severed median nerve would result in paralysis of a portion of the hand and impalement of various ligaments by the iron spike, it might produce a claw-like grasp. To prolong the crucifixion process, a horizontal wooden block or plank serving as a crude seat, often was attached midway down the vertical beam. After both arms were fixed to the crossbar, the patibulum and the victim together were lifted onto the vertical beam. 
When the nailing was completed, the titulus was attached to the cross by nails or cords just above the victim's head. The soldiers and the civilian crowd often taunted and jeered the condemned man, and the soldiers customarily divided up his clothing among themselves. Survival generally ranged from three to four hours to three or four days and appears to have been inversely related to the severity of the scourging. However, even if the scourging had been relatively mild, the soldiers could hasten the death by breaking the legs below the knees. I'll explain why that was effective in just a moment. Not uncommonly, insects would light upon or burrow into the open wounds or the eyes, ears, and nose of the dying and helpless victim, and birds of prey would tear at those sights. It was customary to leave the corpse on the cross to be devoured by predatory animals. Since no one was intended to survive crucifixion, the body was not released to the family until soldiers were sure the victim was dead. By custom, one of the Roman guards would pierce the body with a sword or lance. Perhaps you've never envisioned this and maybe would never want to again, but if I may, this explains why the breaking of the legs would hasten death. Just listen. This is from Jim Bishop the day Christ died. His arms were now in a V position. And Jesus became conscious of two unendurable circumstances. The first was that the pain in his wrist was beyond bearing, that muscle cramps knotted his forearms and upper arms and the pads of his shoulders. The second was that his pectoral muscles at the sides of his chest were momentarily paralyzed. This in, in, induced in him an involuntary panic. For he found that while he could draw air into his lungs, he was powerless to exhale. At once Jesus raised himself on his bleeding feet. As the weight of his body came down on the insteps, the single nail pressed hard against the top of the wound. Slowly, steadily, Jesus was forced to raise himself higher and higher until for the moment... His head hid the sign which told of his crime. You see the picture? He lifted up so as to exhale. When his, soldiers were, when his shoulders were on a level with his hands, breathing was rapid and a bit easier. He fought the pain in his feet in order to breathe rapidly for a few moments, and then unable to bear the pain below, which cramped legs and thighs and, and wrung moans from the strongest, he let his torso sag lower and lower. And his knees projected a little at the same time. With a deep sigh, he felt himself to be hanging by his wrists. And this process must have been repeated again and again and again that he might breathe. It literally was a constant motion. And by breaking the legs, you stop the ability to lift. And death would come sooner. And one would die unable to continue the respiratory process. Terrible, horrible agony. No wonder Bernard of Clairvaux wrote, What language shall I borrow to thank thee, dearest friend, for this thy dying sorrow, thy pity without end? What language could I use to tell you of my gratitude? 
But I want to pinpoint one most grateful in that day in which it happened. One, one man. And I believe it was on his cross that Jesus died. I don't know why, but in all my studies, I have not found another who points this out. And uh, it, it just seems so obvious to me. His name was Barabbas, who was a hardened criminal, a convicted thief, awaiting crucifixion, not knowing when it would occur. Those who had been accused and found guilty of their crimes were housed in Antonia's dungeon, about 500 uh, yards from the praetorium. The praetorium was where Jesus was held on trial. Remember, the Jews came to the steps of the praetorium and they wouldn't go inside because it was Passover. It was Gentile territory and they wouldn't want to corrupt themselves as they waited outside screaming for his life or really for his death. So they wait outside, and Pilate goes in and out. Remember the scene? Went in to try to uh, interrogate him and came out to talk with the, with the mob and would go back in and would come back out. This is 500 yards or so from Antonia's dungeon where Barabbas is being held awaiting death. I want to show you something from Matthew 27. Barabbas was able to hear the crowd, but was unable to hear the single voice of Pilate at that distance. You can hear a crowd 500 yards away. You can't hear one voice unless perhaps it is across water, which it is not. Look at Matthew 27, verse 20. Put yourself in the dungeon with Barabbas and listen to what you hear. The chief priests and the elders persuaded the multitudes to ask for Barabbas to put Jesus to death. But the governor answered and said to them, uh, by the way, Barabbas doesn't hear this question. It's only one thin voice. Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they say together, Barabbas. Okay, let's enter into the scene. You be a part of the mob today. Forgive me. You be a part of the voice of the mob. Nice and loudly say the word Barabbas. Together? Barabbas. All right. I think 500 yards away, you could hear that. You weren't very passionate, but I think if it were in that day, you would have been. So let's say it with passion. Nice and loud. Barabbas. You would hear that. You're sitting in a cell in Antonia's dungeon, 500 yards away. You hear your voice. You, you hear your name, right? Read on. Pilate then said to them, and he couldn't hear this, what then shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? And they all said, nice and loud, let him be crucified. Do it again. He heard his name, Barabbas. He didn't hear anything in between. Next thing he heard was, let him be crucified. All of a sudden, there's a chill that goes up his back. Naturally, it would be. Verse 24, when Pilate saw he was accomplishing nothing, but rather a riot was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of them. But before he does that, verse 23, he said back to them, Barabbas never heard this, why? What evil has Jesus done? What evil has... I mean, why would you want me to release Barabbas and not release this innocent man? But they kept shouting all the more. There it is again. Once again, folks, nice and loud. Let him be crucified. He heard Barabbas. 
That got his attention. He heard first, let him be crucified. And now a riot almost breaks out. And he hears a second time, let him be crucified. And the next thing he hears is the clanging of his door. And the jailer has the key, opens the door and grabs him. What would you think if you were Barabbas? I think Barabbas followed the journey along the, uh, the, the trail that led to the place of crucifixion and, and watched the Son of God die in a heart, with a heart full of gratitude. He was bearing his cross. In fact, A.T. Robertson, in the last line of his commentary on the word pictures of the New Testament, in the Gospel of John chapter 19, writes, They chose Barabbas in preference to Jesus, and apparently Jesus died on the very cross plan for Barabbas. Imagine that. Imagine how you would have felt had you been Barabbas. I've got one even more vivid. You are guilty. You and I deserved that cross. If sin separates us from a holy God, and if sin qualifies us for death, as it does indeed, and if the payment had to be made by, those, by, by, by someone for sins... And since it had to be the innocent one, the spotless Lamb of God, He really took our cross and bore it in our place. And while all the world could have shouted our name, and rightly so, and named our sins since we were not innocent, how greatly grateful we are that He who knew no sin was made sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Isn't that a great story? <laughs> Too harsh for eyes to see, but when you see it, you find yourself full of gratitude, don't you? I do. Let's close our eyes. And see from his head, his hands, and his feet, his hands, his feet, Sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love or sorrow meet or thorns compose so rich a crown? Ever met this one who died for you? Ever met his acquaintance? Oh, I know you've heard of him, you've read of him, you, you've heard others talk of him, but that, that's not sufficient. We're talking you and him you on your own before him. You know, you will stand before him someday, ready or not. You'll stand before him. And you'll see hands that were pierced and still bearing the scars of the crucifixion. And you'll understand better what those scars meant back then. But will you be able to say, my Lord and my God? Or will you say, I never came to know you and face eternity without hope. This is no uh, evangelist manipulation here. This is fact. We all have everlasting life. We all do. Even you without Christ will live forever. But only those in Christ will live forever with God in the glories of heaven those without Christ, and eternity in hell. Well, that's enough to make you shudder. 
Today is the day that that could all change. And in, as you sit right there, you could, your own words, offer a simple prayer. Lord, I see now the price that was paid for my sins. I believe he died for me. Lord, I don't deserve that, but I believe that. And I believe in him who died for me and rose from the dead for me. And I take him now as my God, my Lord, my Savior. Now. Our Father, we have, we, we have deliberately walked slowly along this excruciating journey with your son. Uh, we, we can't imagine what Mary must have thought as she saw her own 33-year-old son dying, hardly recognizing his face. Can't imagine what the disciples must have felt, having forsaken him and fled, only to return and see, see him dying. We want to live our lives differently, our Father, and more deeply because of what we have seen today. Our gratitude knows no bounds as our hearts are lifted up in thankfulness for him who gave his last breath on our behalf and bore our sins in his body on the tree. May not one person leave this place today until that decision for Christ is in place. I trust you, Father, to work in those hearts. And I pray that you will minister deeply to those who have never come to know you, that they might turn themselves over to you today. I ask it gratefully, believingly, in Jesus' dear name. Amen. And with his closing prayer, Chuck Swindoll has concluded message number 15 in the larger 20-part biography of Jesus. The series is called Jesus, the Greatest Life of All, and today's message is titled Delivered Up to be Crucified. Insight for Living offers a variety of ways to listen to this series at your own pace. In fact, all 20 CDs in the collection are available today by calling this number, 1-800-663-7639, or go online to insightforliving.ca. By listening to Chuck's biography of Jesus, you'll be reminded that God truly understands our suffering. Jesus is acquainted with our grief. He knows what it feels like to carry deep sorrow, even loneliness. It's comforting to anyone who's struggling right now. Not long ago, we received an emotion-filled note from a grateful listener who said, As a young mother, I lost a child who was only one year old. I didn't understand why God would let this happen to me. I began to search for answers, and I found Insight for Living on the radio. Thank you, Pastor Swindoll. I feel you are my lifeline to the Lord. I've given everything to Him, and I have faith that He will lead me. Well, on behalf of this listener and countless others like her, we want to thank all those who give generously to Insight for Living. We couldn't provide Chuck's daily teaching without your partnership. As a result of your contributions, people are learning to rely on Jesus, the greatest life of all. To give a donation today, write to us at Insight for Living Canada. 
Post Office Box Number 8, Station A, Abbotsford, BC, V2T6Z4. You can also call us at 1-800-663-7639 or go online to insightforliving.ca. I'm Bill Meyer. Chuck Swindoll describes the most glorious moment in human history when Jesus rose from death to life. Thursday on Insight for Living. The preceding message, Delivered Up to be Crucified, was copyrighted in 1999. And the sound recording was copyrighted in 2024 by Charles R. Swindoll, Incorporated. All rights are reserved worldwide. Duplication of copyrighted material for commercial use is strictly prohibited.